and to be singing God's word even. Okay, we've been on to a series these past, well this is our third week now, called The Church We Can Be and those of you who have been around for a while would know that in February we like to talk about our, our church, the church, and try and set a bit of a, a vision or a plan, if you like, for the year to come. And uh, last week we talked about the life together, looked at Acts chapter 2 and, and that amazing passage that describes the, the early life of the church. And, and we tried to draw from that some things that you know, might help us. Uh, be a church full of God's spirit and one that flows in his likeness. Uh, you remember we talked about four things uh, that uh, were characteristic of that church. Uh, they were a learning church, a worshipping church, uh, a church that fellowshiped together, lived together, uh, and a church that prayed. Uh, and uh, uh, th- then uh, we looked at some of the fruits that came out of that and, and how we should live that. And we're taking that a step further this week uh, by talking about one heart uh, and uh, a united purpose. And we're now starting to drill into a bit further uh, the issue of, um, okay, so, so there are some characteristics, but you know, what are some things? Well, here are the two challenges. I'll put them up on the screen. Uh, that we want to ask this morning. How can we get our church family to look like the Acts 2 model? And what are the things that are hindering us from mirroring the family portrait that our Heavenly Father envisions when he thinks of us? So in other words, yeah, absolutely, we can, we can learn, we can, uh, we can worship, we can fellowship and be together and we can pray but what is it about our life together that, that needs to be enhanced or modified or changed or uh, you know, dealt with, if you like, even confronted, that takes us a step closer to those things? And today's message, I think it's probably fair to say, I, I hope that it's encouraging, but I also believe it might be confronting for many of us, probably all of us, because now we start to step into some of the the attributes that at times don't come naturally to us. In fact, for a community to live them out and outwork them, they are literally a miracle. Uh, And what I mean by that is, unless the Holy Spirit move on the hearts of people uh, and and cause uh, these things within us to to bubble up and grow, then then really our, our unity our life together gets limited to some extent. Um, And this is, I guess, born in the fact that really what we're trying to do here at the Hills Christian Family Centre, without the Spirit of God, it's almost impossible, (laughs) if not impossible, that we need to yield firstly to the Spirit of God. So, folks, we all know that that starts with us saying yes to Jesus. All right, so, you know, a person might come along and say, well, you know, uh, I'm just going to tag along to this place and, and, you know, I'm just going to sort of hang out here. But, you know, unless a person says yes to Jesus, is born again by the power of the Holy Spirit, this life together that we're describing really can't happen. And it needs us to yield to Jesus for the first time and then every time almost we take a breath. So we're going to ask the question, and while last week that we drew on Acts chapter 2, 39 to 47, 
um, to talk about what the life together looked like. Now we're going to look to Ephesians chapter 4 and uh, look at a prescriptive passage where Paul, uh, when he's writing, really lays it on the church and says this is what to do, pretty much. Uh, And this is how it reads. As a prisoner of the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Now, I've put some other extra things in here from the Amplified Bible that might help flesh this out a little bit. We can deal with this one very quickly. Some people think only pastors get callings, that only ordained ministry is called. It's not true. It's not biblical. Everyone who comes to Jesus receives a calling at that moment. (laughs) The calling to all humanity, firstly, is to come to Jesus. But included in that is a calling to live a life worthy of Jesus Christ. That's the broad picture that's upon all of us. So all of us have a calling. And then Paul starts to go down an interesting path. He doesn't start talking about do this for Jesus, achieve this for God, perform this great miracle, rise to this position. He goes completely the other direction. He says, be completely humble. Man, and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over and through all in all. So the call to unity in this passage is stark. The word one appears repeatedly. This sense of all being together all being combined, but for Paul on this occasion, the linchpin to it occurring is humility, is gentleness, patience, forbearance, peace, unity and love. And so we can sit here and say, and I can say, church, let's be unified. It's bound to help. I read it in the Bible. (laughs) Let's give it a try. And we can almost we can start thinking, all right, all right, so what does that mean? We've all got to think the same. We've all got to just, you know, do this or do that. And, but the picture is actually quite different. We are going to have differences. There are going to be, if you like, conflicts. There are struggles within the church just because people belong to it. You've heard the great saying, you know, the church would be fantastic if only it didn't have people. Uh, Well, that's true in some sense. So what's the pathway given that we're here in order to allow it to flow? So I'm going to look at each of those seven. We've got a bit of ground to cover. But the call to unity, the call to humility uh, is uh, really one of the great challenges that we all face. But sometimes we're tempted to say, I don't know, I just might not worry about humility. It sounds a bit hard. Don't quite know what it means. Uh, it's not really me, you know. I'll, I'll just give it a miss. But we can't escape because um, Paul points to Jesus. So any follower of Jesus, anyone who seeks to go after him and be modelled on him, cannot avoid the call to unity. And the passage 
uh, before us from Philippians chapter 2 is really the most uh, confronting one when it comes to Jesus and humility. Paul says in Philippians, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset of Jesus Christ. So when it comes to us relating to one another, we're to think like Jesus. So we're thinking, okay, what is Jesus, what is he thinking? And Paul says, okay, do this. Who, in being very nature God, so there, there, <laughs> there was no one above or beyond Jesus, did not consider equality God something to be used to his own advantage, didn't use his godliness to make his life easier, but rather he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. The come down for Jesus to become a man, a person like us, was huge, and then to act like and adopt and be a servant was equally as compelling. And being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death and not just any death, but crucifixion on a cross. I mean, it, you know, it's like, would you be prepared to die for your faith? And we think about it and we think, oh, that sounds a bit heavy. And well, maybe if someone just shot me, it'd be quick. If we get it over with quickly, with no pain, I guess I'll do it. But but when Jesus was crucified, there was no escaping the death that he died on our behalf. It was was just there for all to see, literally. And, you know, the pain that he went through demonstrated the love that he had for us. You've probably heard me say before that Jesus came at a time when state-sponsored execution was at its most painful. There has never been anything like crucifixion in terms of killing people. You know, I would have been tempted, I'll just come, you know, a few thousand years later and I might get the electric chair or, you know, I'll go for the... At this time, God's love for humanity is revealed in a way that was unbelievable. So, humility is the call that we've got and... It's the word slave or servant is a strange one. It carries very negative connotations in certain circumstances of life, which it should. But the attitude that we're trying to pick up on here is that Jesus had a readiness and a willingness to serve. He had no expectation or entitlement or tried to make a claim that other persons should serve him. But instead, uh, he served willingly. Paul says elsewhere in Philippians, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but instead look to the interest of others and humble yourself. Pride uh, is a corruption uh, within us that destroys our fellowship and our unity. Humility, in this occasion, relates to our attitude towards ourselves. It's not actually how we think of other people but it's how we think about ourselves. Whether we should do this or whether we should be subject to that or whether we deserve this or I need that. So it's all about how we view ourselves. And when Paul paints this picture in Ephesians uh, of Jesus who just said, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll do that. I'll go there. I'll serve them in that way. I'll cop that kind of death. I'll, I'll be obedient this way. Paul's saying that's humility. 
So when we talk about unity for our church, the starting point for us, each of us individually, is humility to take the attitude of Jesus Christ. And that's a hard one and that's challenging, but it's absolutely incumbent upon us to go down that path. We can't step around it. So that relates to how we're seeing uh, ourselves. Um, Second one is gentleness, and that talks about uh, our attitude towards others. So humility is our attitude towards ourselves. Gentleness is our attitude towards others. And once again, Jesus puts himself forward as the ultimate example of gentleness. So, you know, we can't get around and say, oh, gentleness, it's, it's not me, it's too hard and I'm not going to go down that path. But once we're filled with the Spirit of God, this is what we'll do. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. How does he describe himself? Because I am gentle and humble in heart and you'll find rest for your souls. Who would have thought humility and gentleness... Being like Jesus would produce rest for our souls. That sounds good to me. So gentleness is how we approach and reflect and relate to others. Now, gentleness does not mean weakness. It does not mean weakness. Uh, In fact, uh, the Greek word suggests the gentleness of the strong. So if you say, uh, you know, I'll be humble and weak, that's not what you're being called to. Strength in character, strength in relationship is good, but gentleness towards others is part of our plan, if you like, when it comes to unity. So humility in terms of the way we think about ourselves and gentleness in terms of the way we act towards or the way we think about others. That's the first two steps towards our unity as a church. The third one is patience. Now, patience uh, is an interesting one. So we've talked about how we think about ourselves, how we think about others. Now we're talking about how we relate to others when we're provoked. You know, when people are nice to me, I'm a very nice person. You know, I, I can relate to others, no problems. But the test comes when we're provoked to a different kind of behaviour. And we can't simply say, well, you know, if they had have acted a bit nicer towards me, I would have, you know, done the right thing. But they may be angry, they may be this, they may be that. It's all their fault. We don't have an escape path when it comes to the call uh, to patience. You might have heard that famous prayer, Lord, give me patience now! Um, the people that pray for patience will have it tested in order to demonstrate it. You can't show patience unless there is a temptation to be impatient. It doesn't, that patience doesn't exist. You have to be able to be patient when you are provoked. So uh, the Greek word here talks about being long-tempered, long-suffering. And look, We all come across people from different times in particular who test our patience. Sometimes that'll be because of their character, our character combining, but all of us can identify a person that tests our patience. And I want you to know today they are a messenger from God. (laughs) 
They're not only your brother and sister in Christ, I assume, even if they're not, they are sent by the Holy Spirit. I read it in the Bible. They're your opportunity to show patience and in doing so, fulfil the call of the scripture. Are you ready for that, folks? Who's excited about being patient? (laughs) I wish patience for you. It's not very exciting, is it? Let's face it. Like you're saying, Pastor, give me something else. Give Give me provision. Give me promises. Give me miracles. That patience, I'm finding that quite underwhelming. Well, folks, it's again the call of Jesus. This great little passage in Romans 12, just a few words. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. This is one of the scriptures I could leave up on the screen and I could say to us, let's just sit here for 30 minutes and read that. Seriously, and not say anything. Because that sums up the challenges that we all face. We've already sung about hope. Hope restored. Who struggles with hope? I mean, everyone struggles with hope. At one time. We're all tested in that area. We struggle to have hope at times. We're we're not sure how things are going to work out. We can't see the hand of God. We, We don't know how it's working out. The Bible tells us to instead be joyful in that, to accept that it exists and to believe for it. Then, when affliction comes, to be patient as we work through it. This too shall pass. The movement through affliction to the other side and then faithful in prayer the temptation to say God doesn't hear me I'm not praying anymore this isn't working instead of giving into that instead to be faithful in saying Lord Jesus I speak your love again over this situation deliver us through it in your name so humility gentleness patience patience is how we react when people provoke us The next one is forbearance, a word that we don't hear a lot about. Patience is our attitudes toward others when they provoke us. Forbearance is our attitude towards others when they carry weaknesses. All right, so people's weaknesses, how we react when people express their weakness. It means bearing with and tolerating people, which sounds a bit glum and a bit simple, but it's still an important attribute attribute that we're called on to have. Paul in his famous verse about 1 Corinthians chapter 12 um, speaks about the body, talks about the temptation to just say those who seem more special, who seem more gifted, who seem more beautiful or seem more nicer or whatever. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable and the parts that we think are less honourable we treat with special honour. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. Paul's talking about not despising anyone in the body of Christ. Not saying that no one is required, but understanding that everyone, including those who struggle or who you know, continue to transgress in a particular way, or whatever it is, we have to pay them special attention. We have to honour them. We have to regard them. And this is forbearance as we move through our time in the body of Christ. It's difficult, it requires commitment, but we need to be mindful and respectful of those who are around us who need that special care and that special attention. So 
in order for unity to flourish, humility, gentleness, for uh, patience and forbearance. We've got through the first four. How are you going so far, folks? Are you, are you willing to say, oh, yeah, I'm that? For, yeah, you're forbearing this sermon. God bless you, sister. Preach that gospel. That sounds rather glum, doesn't it, Kathy? Anyway, all right, well, let's, let's spice it up a bit. Anyone willing to say, I'm humble? <laughs> that's a, that's a, it's a joke. It's sort of been done a few times. Okay, number five, love. Uh, okay, love um, is probably the thing that ties it all together, but the love that we're stressing here is the love that God places into us by the power of the Holy Spirit. As I said earlier, I can say to you, you should love people, but what I'd rather say to you is accept the love of God that he has for you, that he's expressed to you through Jesus Christ, because on receiving and experiencing that love, you then are equipped, if you like, to be humble, gentle, patient, forbearant, if you like, I'm not sure if that's a word, and express the love that comes through Jesus Christ through you. Romans 5, chapter 5 says, Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Our experience of God and his love is a gift of the Holy Spirit that's placed within us. Hope flourishes and thrives when we say yes to Jesus and when we're in those moments of doubt, the Holy Spirit comes to us and encourages us. The Holy Spirit says it's going to be okay. I am with you. I am working through you. And I trust that all of you have sensed that experience when you've been sorely tested, you've been pressed on every side, you've been stressed out, you've been anxious and worried. There are things crowding in. And that temptation to doubt or lose hope or not have joy or to stop praying or to give in to affliction is there. But then the Holy Spirit, that miracle inside that just says, sometimes I am there. I will be with you. I will help you persist. And I don't know about you, I've experienced it in all manner of ways. Weird stuff sometimes when I'll have a day while I'm struggling with stuff, you know, trying to work out how are we going to go forward here. And then sometimes I go to bed and... Um, you know, it's just like, wow, that's that's fairly anxious state to go in. And then I wake up and the Holy Spirit's woken me up and starts speaking hope over me. I'm like, wow, it's midnight, it's 2am, but it's like the Spirit couldn't get to me back there because I was just allowing stuff to crowd in. But now that you're still, I'm going to build hope. Hope in the middle of the night, that's really interesting. Sometimes it's the other way round. Sometimes I wake up and it's like, oh, 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 whatever I do next. And then you fall back to sleep and it's like, I don't know what I was going about. And you wake up. The Holy Spirit's there and just saying, it's okay, buddy. It's a new day. The sun came up again and I'm with you. And I'm going to walk with you through that. Friends, I don't know how much you engage with that. I don't know how much you are aware of that. But the love of God and that presence of the Holy Spirit 
That's another key part of unity. We've got to open ourselves up to God speaking into our heart and into our lives. Six, well, we've met, talked about unity and this is a tricky one when it comes to Jesus speaking directly, how we navigate relationships with each other. And this is a test where, uh, there, where there are offences, where there are conflicts, where things do come in. Jesus says quite clearly that we need to be reconciled. And the really uh, testing thing in Matthew chapter 5 is that the person uh, who is offended against, if you like, is the one that has to take the initiative. And we would normally think that's got to be the other way around. (laughs) It's got to be different from that. But Jesus tells us in Matthew 5, if you are offering your gift at the altar and remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them and then come and offer your gift. He says in Matthew chapter 18, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you've won them over. It seems in both circumstances, Jesus is placing the initiative on us in both circumstances. How does that work? Well, I guess if we all take the initiative in in trying to deal with stuff that comes between us as a church, well then, I guess it ought to be, we ought to do all right in terms of dealing with it. But when it's allowed to fester and allowed to, Uh, go on, that's when our unity is threatened. Uh, John Stott in his book, God's New Society, said of uh, Ephesians chapter 4, he says, is there only one God, then he has only one church. Is the unity of God involuble, then so is the unity of the church. The unity of the church is as indestructible as the unity of God himself. It is no more possible to split the church than it is possible to split the Godhead. And that's absolutely true. So in order to flow with God, in order to experience the presence of God, we need to be unified in the way that he is with himself, in the way that the Trinity is one but in perfect relationship. And friends, you know, this is, comes to us in so many different situations. There's so many temptations to give in to gossip or difficulty or struggle with each other. Uh, and so often there are little things that come between us or bigger things, but in order to preserve the unity of our church, uh, we need to allow and take the initiative of being sure that we cover over and correct those relationships and reunite them. Uh, Paul wraps up in Romans 12 in this particular area by saying, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So that's the call to unity. And the final one is the call to peace. And this completes that teaching that we just saw in Romans chapter 14, when Paul says, let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Now, mutual edification, what does that mean? Uh, edif- to edify is to build up. To edify is, you know, to to allow to build up yourself. It says that's what occurs when we pray in the spirit. But also uh, to do things that build us up as a body. So what's the thing that's going to build us up together? 
gossip, slander, uh, being disruptive, uh, looking to highlight differences and, you know, standing on our rights and being aggressive and the list goes on, that's not going to build us up as a church body. That's not mutual edification. But instead it is, you know, what's the thing that's going to allow us to go forward? In this next five minutes, what's the thing that I'm going to do that's going to build that person up, that's going to make us unified, that's going to help us go forward as a church, instead of saying, well, you know, I'm just going to actually do this. And, you know, I don't care if it builds up that person or not, I'm just going to make a point of this. So it's in the attitude in terms of how we conduct ourselves and what we do. How can we help? What positive word can we speak over someone? What moment of hope can we do for someone? How can we pray in this situation, either right now or when we're on our own? What can we do and what is it? So peace, keeping the peace. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. In other words, they have the presence of God with them. You know those people that heal relationships that bring people together, that do that. Our church needs that as a ministry for all of us to adopt. So now I want to give you four practical steps to unity just before we wrap up and pray. Um, So this is just putting a few more practices on that, that process of actually being unified as a church. Accept, cover, defend and forgive. I'm going to go through each one of these Quickly, and then we're going to pray together and wrap up. But I want to just put this in front of you, church, as a call to what this means. Uh, You have heard me talk before about the one another's. I think I counted once that there are 23 different ones in the scriptures. Uh, One of them is the very simple call in Romans to accept one another just as Christ accepted you. And in order to bring praise to God, there's a good reason to do it. What does this mean? It basically means to accept and respect each other's uniqueness in Christ and the individual callings that we all express. Did you know that not everyone is like you? Is that, I don't know if you've, maybe that's a big wake up call. You've just heard it for the first time. We're, we're all different. I mean, I was shocked when I started to realise that my wife didn't think the same as me. I thought we would get married, we would then start to think the same, which is the way that I thought, and we would be happily ever after living together in Jesus' name. Praise the Lord. Amen. Isn't that what happened, Jude? She's not even shaking my hand on that one. (laughs) I was horrified when I discovered my wife was different to me and she thought differently. That's not in the Bible. Oh, hang on. Yes, it is. Accept one another. I mean... That can only make sense or mean anything if there's a point of difference in accepting the person. (laughs) That that can't even be necessary to say if we're all the same. So there's that sense that, you know, people think differently than me. Uh, You know, uh, they're different. Uh, You know, God made them like he made me. You know, I wasn't at the special creation party and they weren't. You know, so... It's just what does that look like and and allowing for the fact that that's what it means to live together. So we have that acceptance and uh, (laughs) often the Apostle Paul gives us no wriggle room and says, because Jesus accepted you, (laughs) 
you know, we're like thinking, well, but I'm, I'm me. But no, no, you require, like, I don't know if you know this, you're different to Jesus, so, but he accepted you into his body and saved you and died for you. So in light of that, please show the same acceptance to other people. And why? Because it glorifies God. It brings praise to God. He, he receives our praise. So that's the first step, accept one another. Second one is cover. Now, this is an interesting one because um, it doesn't mean cover up, but it's that sense of instead of exposing each other's weaknesses, instead of highlighting them, instead of saying, well, you know, it, it, it's, it's where it's this ministry of love covering over a multitude of sins, that sense of forgiveness, that sense of, you know, uh, forbearance, I think, is what's covering up here. So it's talking about being love, loving. You could say uh, it's having one blind eye and one deaf ear. Some's, some person's offered that as the secret to a happy marriage. One blind eye and one deaf ear. So it's covering, it's, it's you know, having that sense of allowing people to be themselves, accepting them, and then covering over you know, their weaknesses and their struggles. It's deciding to focus on what's the positive that this person is bringing to that situation and that relationship as opposed to what are they doing to bring it down. Third one is defend. This great description of love, we couldn't go by without it in this message. Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. And every time I'm tempted to act in an unloving way, I really need just to call up 1 Corinthians 13 and say, if I can't work out if the way that I'm thinking or the way that I'm acting or the way that I'm speaking is loving, then I just need to read this particular passage because it's really helpful. It starts off with what love is, then it talks about what love isn't, and then it finishes with what love is. And one of the uh, gifts that it gives is that it protects. And we all know how ugly it can be at times when a person in our fellowship is being attacked by someone else verbally, you know, they're being criticised or they're being, you know, slandered or their, their, their faults or their weaknesses are being brought up. And as part of restoring unity and being a peacemaker, we need to step in and defend that person at that time. We don't need to say, oh, well, they're not very important. I'm going to waste my breath. I'm not going to identify with them. I'm not going to step into that situation. But we need to call each other up as a church and say, hey, you, can't, you shouldn't attack that person in that way. You shouldn't criticise them in that way. We need to defend them. Love accepts, love covers the weaknesses and the struggles of others and then love defends. And finally, perhaps as hard... Ooh, there it is. thought I'd lost it, Dave, but it's come back from cyberspace. Forgive. The call in Colossians 3 to forgive each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord gave you. He always brings Jesus into it. I wish he'd just stop talking about what Jesus did. 
And then it'd be easy to just say, well, I don't feel like it. But if someone follows after Jesus, then you have been forgiven. You have been accepted. You have been shown patience. You have been shown forbearance. Those of you who have been around the faith for a long time, have you ever reflected on how long Jesus has been patient with you in a particular area of your life? You ever had that realisation? You know, when you think, I thought I'd be through this by now. I thought I wouldn't think like this anymore. I thought I wouldn't do this anymore. And we think, Jesus still loves me. And we're thinking, I reckon I might have just said, I can't do this anymore. You're out of here. I'm going on to someone else. But Jesus persists with us. Jesus continues to forgive us. So therefore, folks, none of us can call anyone up and say, oh, we forget it. So we're called on to not only bear with each other, but forgive one another as we have grievances each other, as we forgive in the same way that the Lord forgave us. Just finally, our transformation is this, and this is where I'm going to lead us in prayer. Whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. The the ability to see rightly ourselves and others is given to us. Now, the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. We're able to do what he wants. And we all, with unfailed faces, contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the spirit. Folks... If you are cooperating with the Holy Spirit, if you've said yes to Jesus, you are in a process of transformation. Did you know this? You might be tempted to say, no, Jesus has finished with me, or I've arrived, I'm on top of all of this, or I can't change. Maybe it's one of those reactions. But I'm telling you that you are in a process of transformation. It doesn't matter how long you've been around or what you struggle with, or where you're at. The Holy Spirit is in you. He never sleeps. He's at work within you. You are being transformed. Folks, all I'm saying as we wrap up today is submit to the activity of the Spirit within us so that we might show each other that grace and that forbearance and so we might be a unified fellowship. Yes, Unity might at times involve uniting around a strategy and saying we're going in that direction, but it ultimately comes from the way that we treat each other. The call is to treat each other like Jesus treated us. Let's bow our heads and pray. Lord Jesus, we have been exposed once again to a couple of things I feel here today. Firstly, Lord... We have been exposed to how you yourself conducted yourself as a human being on the earth. That you yourself were the most humble. When you had the most reason not to be, you chose to live in humility, in grace and in forgiveness as you lived among us. And Lord, we know that without that humility we'd be lost We would be gone in our sins. We could not escape. But because you humbled yourself, we have the opportunity to live with you. So, Father, we thank you for the love of Jesus and for his humility in living for us. Secondly, Lord, we see how much we are in need of you and your Holy Spirit when it comes to living in unity with each other. 
when it comes to bearing with each other, accepting one another, covering each other, loving each other, forgiving each other, defending each other, Lord, living at peace, living in love, being patient, gentle, Lord. These are things, Father, that test us and challenge us. You know our weaknesses and our temptations. But Lord, on behalf of all of the people in this service today, on behalf of the Hills Christian Family Centre, Lord, I say, send your Holy Spirit. Send your Holy Spirit amongst us again and help us to be the unified people of God in this place who display these attributes to each other, who give each other this mercy and this grace, who say, Lord, there goes a son or a daughter of Jesus. There goes my brother and sister in Christ. I give thanks for them. I pray for them. I release them of any offence. And I just say, Lord, have your way in their life. Father, I pray that that might be our prayer today that you would change us as a church, that you would deal with us, Lord, individually as we accept and relate to others. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to finish today with a time of worship and prayer as we normally do. And I want to encourage everyone here today to take the opportunity to receive prayer. Sometimes a message like this, no one's willing to come forward because they think, oh, you know, I don't want to stick my neck out or whatever, and that's okay. But these times of prayer are really about anything. They might be things in your life that you need help with, moments of provision. Maybe you need a prayer of patience and peace and hope and persistence prayed over you. You just need someone to stand with you and and say, hey, I want all of those things for my life. So I just want to invite you to stand now as our team leads. I want the prayer ministry team to come down. And whatever the need is in your life, it might be a healing, a physical thing that you need provision for. This is the time now. Let the body of Christ in this place lay hands on you and pray for you. We believe in the power of prayer. We believe that prayer changes things. Not only once off, but sometimes repeated over many times, whatever it is. We want to pray for you now in Jesus' name. So come forward and let us do that as we worship and sing together in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Let's sing, we confess. We confess all our offense. 